This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. As you may already have heard, pianist Menachem Pressler passed away last weekend at the age of 99. You've undoubtedly heard him play before, whether in a recording, on the radio, or in live performance, but it's possible that you've never heard him speak. Mr. Pressler was my wife's teacher at Indiana University when we were both students there, and he kindly included me in studio parties and events, so I got to discover over the years that he was very thoughtful and curious about psychology and the mental aspect of performance. His thoughtfulness on this topic always stuck with me, and so in the summer of 2012, years before there was even the idea of a Bulletproof Musician podcast, I asked if he would chat with me for a little while, so I might ask him how he approached practicing, performing, and life as a musician in general. He was very open and candid, and he shared his thoughts on what goes through his mind on a bad day versus on a good day, what he believed the role of a performer is, what success and failure meant to him, his legacy, and what he wishes he would have known when he was just starting out his career. He was 88 at the time of this recording, still actively performing, teaching, and learning. I hope you find it to be as insightful and inspiring a glimpse into the mind of a great musician, performer, and teacher as I did, listening back to it all these years later. You perform so often all over the place and with so much different repertoire, over the years that I'm curious about how you get ready for that or how you've come up with some sort of routine or regimen, if you will, for making sure that when the performance comes, you're ready to go. The first thing is that I learn the piece very carefully. I learn it, study it very carefully, and then maybe we'll have a tryout performance. I mean, with a trio we used to try out, or I, as a solo, would try out the piece until I feel more secure as far as the piece is concerned. And then you always know that there are always places in the work that give you problems. And so you are, in a way, prepared for those problems, which means that when it arrives that you don't tighten up, that you don't start all of a sudden fear but that you are somehow prepared for it, that now somehow, as I said, because what happens in real life is that the problem moves very often. It may be this or this bar that gave you lots of problems, all of a sudden that bar is not difficult at all, mm-hmm. and another bar seems very, very difficult. So you are prepared for these things. And then what is this for me, the mainstay and the main reason, actually the main reason for playing, the main reason for still playing, is the love for this piece. So I will, I do love my repertoire. I do love the repertoire that I'm playing, although I do play an enormous repertoire, which is utterly ridiculous with so many different pieces. (laughs) But I'm still doing it, and uh, actually next week I will be in... uh, Ottawa, and I play uh, Brahms Quintet, and I play Quintet for Woodwinds by Beethoven and Mozart. I play a Mozart concerto. I mean, it's 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 hair raising. No, the only thing is, I don't raise any hair. I wish it was, but uh, I'm just trying to, with all that, play a repertoire that I know. While I still have to learn new repertoire and imagine that eighty-eight. I'm playing now this summer, even the rise for the first time. Oh, wow. And this is, oh, wow, you're right. This was a singer 
who has done it maybe hundreds of times and doing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, of course, Schubert is not, uh, uh, how shall I say, a closed book for me on the contrary. Mm-hmm. I play many works of Schubert, uh, and so I am familiar with his repertoire, his vocabulary. I love him and I love his music and and of course, I used to listen to the Winterreiser, but just to tell you what I have ahead of me. And here again, it's a preparation. It is playing it, preparing it, seeing the piece, and then forming inside of you an opinion of the piece. Opinion means the way you would like to hear it, the way you would like to play it. Now, very often, we think we play one way, and then we hear a tape of that performance and it sounds completely different. It's like as if you don't recognize your voice on tape, which very mm-hmm. often happens. So you still then identify and identify what is it that will make it more your voice so that you will recognize and that you will do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I can only say one of the most and the most important aspect is preparation. It's hard to get around being prepared. I mean, even in terms of confidence. That you cannot, that you cannot, how shall I say, there is, you know, sometimes what life is, sometimes you have to learn a piece very fast. And especially when I was younger, I had to do in order to have the date or something. But that's, first of all, it's not anymore the case. And secondly, I recognize that, or I recognize now, by now, truly recognize that if it's only the good performances, the ones where you can put your name under it, you know, the ones that really count. It's a big thing for you having had the time or the preparation to form an opinion, as you said. Is that really the key to feeling confident about a performance going into it? You know, confident about a performance career you never can be because here, it takes two to tango, which mm-hmm. meant when you play, you hope that the audience will like you. You hope that there is something in your playing which the audience will like and will respond to. Because I have heard very good performers and the audience and left the audience call. Mm-hmm. I've heard performers who had the ability to get the audience to love them. In a way, I would say that as a talent. It is not just that you play better or you play cleaner or you play louder or you play softer. It's not that there is something in which a certain performer is capable or able to reach the heartstrings or whatever you may call it, the soul, the ear, the relationship, in order to establish that which we call the a successful playing career. Have you figured out what it is that seems to most effectively do that or connect with an audience in that very deep and touching sort of way? I have figured it out for myself because the things that I love is the sensitivity in the piece. And I do love the beauty of sound. That means how you say it. Now, I have seen that my biggest success was not the fast 
playing or the loud playing, but also soft playing, and maybe not the faster. It may have been the slow one. I don't know that part for sure, but there is in sometimes I when I hear when I hear some places in the Schubert trio, or when I hear myself, there's a new video out, and I like you to see it. And a DVD the the concert that I played a few months ago in Paris. And you can get it on Amazon.com. The DVD of Beethoven Opus 110 and Debussy the Estamp and uh, some mazurkas of Chopin and and finishing it up with big piece that measure Langlet oh. of Schubert. Really a big, big program. And seemingly I, I must admit I haven't seen it myself, but I have gotten the input from one of the great composers and great musicians that I regard very, very highly. His name is Kurtak. I don't know if you know the name. Hungarian. Fabulous musician. Uh, really fabulous. Anyway, he who criticizes everything, he swept like it. And so I take his word for it. Well, that's really interesting because it sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds almost like you're saying that whatever the artist finds most compelling, most beautiful, their own definition whether it's sound sensitivity or something else in the music, that's the thing that you're really showcasing because it's so personal to you and meaningful that you hope the audience then responds to what you find beautiful and what you're yes. playing. I think that, that you put it in good words, yes, because you have some artists whose brilliance is so overwhelming and the audience reacts to brilliance, of course, very easy with sport of instrumental playing. But yet, the great impressions, at least that on myself too, when I heard Nadaju by Schnabel, or when I heard playing uh, King some event, or I heard, you know, I heard Lurinstein do some Schopenhauer's, but Horowitz plays not only the phenomenal part of his handling of the instrument, but just the beauty. I mean, uh, Nocturne for me, more, more, the Masoka, as I mentioned, all of this had on me an overwhelming effect. So I think I'm not alone in listening to music that way, that there are people on my side of the room that will hear it the way I hear it. It sounds almost like you're talking about being touched by the music as opposed to being impressed by the performance of the music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I do feel the real deep value that is in a performance is that work, which is, of course, proved its worth by staying alive 200 years, 50 years, whatever have you, and staying alive by being as direct to your feelings, to my feelings, yes, when I hear it, as it was when he wrote it. So I do feel very strongly for myself that serving the work is in a way more important than how you serve it. I mean, in what clothes you are. And that if you can, if you can whisper or shout or sing it from the rooftop, what the message of the work is, the message that the composer intended. And that, I think... Uh, takes time for you, first of all, to find out, too, because there are certain things that you immediately like about the work or that you have heard, and so therefore you like. But that, when you start to get to know it deeper, 
and deeper. Then you do find some of the words that you use that touch you. And then when you feel that, you may be able to do those words in such a way that you will touch the one who listens to you. It brings up a related question for me in that when you're actually playing, whether it's one of your favorite parts of the piece or a bridge to another part, what do you find yourself thinking about when you're having one of the best days? When I have the best days, I don't think about anything. I listen. Mm. I'm inside the music. I sing it. I, I play it. I don't think of anything. On a bad day, of course, I think, my, I should have practiced more or... <laughs> Oh, for heaven's sake, why didn't I pay attention here with the left hand mm-hmm. not? I mean, I hear it, and the red light goes on in my brain that tells me now this watch out, and, mm-hmm. and most of the time I am capable of watching out, but some of the time I'm not. And so, therefore, at that moment, thoughts enter your mind which have no place in a performance. In a performance, you shouldn't think in details, you react spontaneously. Your ear is your guide. Your feeling is the guide for the ear. Your hands are operating under those feelings. And of course, through their training, we know that you can't exaggerate because your hands are not capable to do what Mr. X can do. But you can tell the message as well as X if you are concentrated of the way you see like being each have a different face and each have a different size and each of us have a different need let's put it this way so there is that need and so when you ask what i'm thinking of of course that's what i'm thinking of during sometimes there, when I'm not so happy, or the acoustic is not uh, very good, or the piano is not responding, or the action is not right, and uh, oh look, the upper register's out of tune. There are many little things that get, but on a good day, none of that matters. Even that the piano is out of tune on a good day, you're not even concerned with that. Have you found a way to keep your mind more focused on singing? using your ear as a guide and really listening carefully and being immersed inside the music as opposed to being on the outside of it. Have you found any, I don't want to call them tricks, but have you found strategies or ways of helping yourself? Not really. I mean, you do a number of things and many of the things, of course, especially when you're an old teacher like me, in order to explain it to a student, I would have had to put my finger on it. Now, when you do it for yourself, there is an inner feeling where you just said the right thing or the wrong thing. And you don't talk to yourself. You don't explain to yourself. But of course, having gone through the process, the explanation in a way do stick to you too. But it's still instinct. It is the sounds that you produce, it is the feeling that you have. I, for instance, just now played the slow movement of the Schumann Quartet. I deeply adore the piece and have had a long history with the piece, having recorded it twice, and it still moves me to a great extent. 
bile moves me all the way and and I feel that I can in a way convey that to someone who listens to me playing it. Are there times where you have had to deal with audiences that aren't coming along for the ride or just aren't responding, or critics even, who just don't seem to understand where you're coming from with the music? Of course. Everybody has that. And I was at the thing what Dorati once said to me, Menachem, he said, when 51 of the critics write well about you, you're a success. There is no one that doesn't get bad reviews. And the bad part very often is that neither the good nor the bad one are written by people with deep knowledge. I will say this. When I started to play, of course, the critics were old. And therefore, I had deep respect for them and then thought, when they have heard a lot, and when they say, this is not right or this should be done, I was very to this. But the older I got, the younger the critics got. And then I had some critics that I would never even take into my class or listen to their musical opinion. But of course, it's printed black and white. And so very often you do have to revisit, even though you feel insulted and or you feel not even giving it a second thought. It exists. And we have found out that, of course, anything that is black and white that remains is all good or a sustain on your picture, that it's there for anyone in the world to either make dirty or beautify it. And it is true that from time to time you feel that you didn't play at your best and you get the most wonderful writer. <laughs> and then when you feel you played at your best, you get a terrible writer. In that regard, I'm always curious about people who've had, by any measure, a successful career and what they themselves actually consider to be the most successful aspect of the career or the most difficult part of the career. I mean, so for you, what would you consider to be one of your greatest successes over the 50 plus years of performing all the different awards and nominations and accolades. I will tell you, I told you before that the last DVD was seen by Kotak, a man that I adore, because he showed me once I was playing with the trio. He has written pieces for my trio. Now he has even written a piece for me solo. But he came once in Amsterdam and we played for him a Beethoven trio, which probably... I don't know if anyone in the world has played that piece as much as I have. Mm. I've recorded it twice. I have taught it many, many times. And then he spoke about some of the things inside the music and found something that absolutely staggered me or the insight that he had that helped me to understand the piece deeper. Now, when I get a compliment from him or I got a compliment from Richter, in his memoirs, and that's something that I didn't know about because he never told me that directly like that. Now, I am, of course, thrilled. And because from where the compliment came, yes, just the other day, a few weeks ago, I was in Madrid receiving the Menuhin Prize, which is a very, very big award by the Queen of, of Spain. 
And in New York, I got the highest award to the American music teachers. Mm-hmm. It was very thrilling and very rewarding. And uh, the book that came out about my teaching was a big success, actually, until the bestseller. Mm-hmm. All the biography which came out in England is doing so well. All that is fun and it's uh-huh. a pleasure. But that what is, of course, the main thing is how those people that in your life you look up to and that mean a great deal to you in in that respect. And so when you hear something from them that touches you, that is a confirmation. It's like when I speak, and this is very true to all students that write to me, that after 40 years telling me how much it meant to them to be away and still look at the music the way I taught it, the way I looked at it myself. And so that was very, very rewarding. And it's very, very rewarding. It sounds like to be, for the effort and the thought and the study that you yeah, put into developing something. You know, you feel understood in the way that you could convey that which is meaningful to you in the music to someone else who then it becomes meaningful to and who actually will continue in that way. And so if you're looking in a secret way to immortality, this is surely a way in which you find that your ideas somehow seem to generate seeds that they stay alive and they bring that way that you have found the content of the music that have been so important to you and have now become very important to some others. You are rewarded. You feel grateful in a way because somehow that is what you do. That's what you want to do. Because by now, especially by now, you don't do that to make a living. That is not anymore the reason for teaching. That's not anymore the reason for trying to have a more successful career so that the income is good. That is really, in a way, secondary at this particular point in my life. The important point is to reach out and to give that which have given my life a reason to be alive. It seems like one of the themes throughout what you've talked about today has been love. I mean, love for the music, sharing that love, making sure the beauty of what you find beautiful is effectively conveyed to the audience and now conveyed to other colleagues that you respect and students that carry on afterwards based on what you've opened their eyes to. The one last thing that I, if it's okay to ask, was is there anything that you wish you had known many years ago when you were just starting out in your career that if you'd only known that then, Maybe you would have had something different. You know, if I had known that you do know it, but you don't as sure as that, that if you go your way and you are consistent and faithful to yourself, that you will make your way. You don't have to satisfy Mr. X or Ms. V in order to get ahead which seems sometimes the case, that like they would say to me many, many years ago, but how can you be in Indiana? You can't make it. You have to stay in New York. 
to be able to do that. No, you don't have to stay in New York. You have to stay focused. If you're in Indiana or if you are in Illinois, you don't have to. It is not the city that makes you. It's not the hall that makes you. It is you that make you. And it is you by being consistent. Of course, the important aspect you have to bring with you, which is talent. That is the one thing that only God can give you, or the lottery of the genes of your father and mother can do that. But otherwise, it is talent, it is your inner discipline, and your outer discipline. It is that which in a performance really give you the pleasure, not the applause. It is in a performance where you have reached out and you have felt that you have reached someone, then you know that you are on the right track. I must admit, I've never felt, oh, this was fabulous and I was thrilled to... No, I've never felt that I was always critical. Even when we made records, or when I made records, I was always critical because I felt there is much more to be found. And I was right. And that which makes a life in music so wonderful and rewarding. Because you are, at this time in my life, I'm still out on the way of discovery that there are certain things in the sensitivity and the way of listening that has not been explored. You have still ways of looking. You have still ways of feeling. Yes, you get older, you lose one part, but you also gain a part. So, if you ask me if I would recommend to become a musician, to have that life, I would fully and wholly recommend it. Not because it was a successful. I would recommend it because that with which your soul is occupied is the duty in which we don't live the daily life, because in daily life there's many things around it which is not beautiful, and there's many things around it which we despise, there's many things around it, I can, you can name it, but there is that one thing in which you, in your dream, and in your listening, and in your feelings, you don't have to bend to anyone. You have to reach out high and higher and higher. These people that we call Beethoven and Schubert and Brahms, Libus, are in a way my gods. And my temple is the hall in which those are being celebrated.